Hello and welcome to episode 149 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the pork bellies. This week we're going to be talking about trading places on your Merry New Year podcast. find me on twitter at mandy k and i'm matthew vose you can find me on twitter at matthew vose welcome to the last year of the tens teens yes it yes. is the last day of the last year no of... no <laughs> oh okay no i forgot you i want to fight <laughs> yes you want to fight okay so technically today is new year's eve if you're listening to this on the day this is released no one's so listening to this on not. the day it's released. Because <laughs> it's New Year's Eve. <laughs> because li- it's New Year's Eve, yeah. yeah. Everyone's listening to it like Christmas 2020. Right. Like, oh yeah, yeah. that's okay. been on my list. I should go back and, you know, high future yeah, us. Yeah, you're probably right. All right, yep. <laughs> so it is probably 2020 when you're listening to this, which according to Matthew is the last year of the 20-teens rather mm-hmm. than the first year of the 2020s. Fight me at me. I'm going to fight you on that because, I mean, it's right there in the name, Matthew, 2020. Yeah, because you start lists with zero. No. So 10 would be the last year. So 20 would be the... If you make your list of 10 things, it goes 1, 2, 3, 5, 6, 7, 9, 10. Mm-hmm. And 10 is the last one of 10 things. 9 is not the last year, last item of 10 things. If you start the list with zero, it is. <laughs> well, exactly. And we don't have a zero in our calendar. Because <sighs> the problem is, people just have their ages. You can be zero years because you mark your age going up at the end of the year. Whereas right. on our calendar, we mark the year going up at the beginning of the year. Well, you so. also live in the UK where the first floor is the one that you have to walk up the stairs to. Yes. Which is wrong. So... I will let you be wrong on this, too. So the first story. (laughs) It's the second story. (laughs) Oh, it's wonderful. Quality entertainment like this is brought to you by Patreon. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. Patreon.com slash Eloquent Gushing. There you go. Our lovely patrons keep us going, keep us able to put out quality content like this, and they get... Stuff back from us. They get extra shows. They get shows early. They get me talking about movies. They get us talking about pop culture. All sorts of exciting things. And it means that we can actually make new shows. We can develop the network. We can do exciting stuff. Yes. We mm. can upgrade our equipment so it sounds better. Mm-hmm. Which we have done a couple of times, which has mm-hmm. been wonderful. That silky smooth Mandy K in your ears. Yes. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Pop Culturally Deprived. Howdy, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shut up. So, You also get some wonderful physical merch from us if you are a patron. A handwritten thank you card, maybe mm-hmm. a sticker or a coaster. Access to our store on TeePublic. Ma- magnets are the one that people have been like, oh, magnets. See, I like the coasters the best. Oh, really? Okay. I love the coasters. I do. I love them. I quite like the stickers. I do, uh, like... Because we now have stickers. I'm going, I can put stickers on things. Because you always feel, I need to save it for the perfect place to put a sticker. 
Right. No, I'm just going to put stickers on things. Great. Put stickers on everything now. <laughs> yep. So if you want to get in on some of this awesome, exciting stuff and put stickers on everything, just like Matthew, <laughs> you can go to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. Uh, the other thing that I want to talk about before we jump into our episode is something I've been wanting to talk about for a while. I tweet about it sometimes mm. is there's this great website for podcasters called Podchaser. Mm. And it's not just for podcasters. It's for people who listen to podcasts as well. It's kind of like this giant directory of podcasts. Okay. Um, it's great for discoverability. It's great for finding out what the podcasters that you listen to listen to themselves okay like i have a list of my top eight favorite podcasts um it's a mechanism to rate and review podcasts without having to go to itunes oh that's nice <laughs> um you don't have to do it on a specific app it is web-based so you don't have to be on your phone to do it podchaser.com um you can look up assuming that the podcasters that you listen to have actually gone onto this website and have claimed their shows and are, are on it you can look up to see um, like on my profile, every podcast I've ever guested on, like the episodes are there. Um, oh, cool. So like all of your podcasting credits can be listed there, all of the podcasts you're involved in. Um, you can rate and review individual episodes. You can list things. You can like there's a feed so you can like follow what other people are doing in the mm -hmm. podcast space. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's just pretty great. It's kind of like a social network for podcasting. I, I was going to say, it's, that's the sort of vibe I'm getting from it. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great. I love it. I think my favorite thing about it, though, is that it gives equal access to reviewing mm. because like most people tell you the best way to get word out about a podcast is to go to iTunes and rate and review. Sorry, to go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review. <laughs> yeah. Which, considering <laughs> that... Like, 70% of mobile phone users in the world are Android users. Mm -hmm. That's not the easiest thing in the world to do. So Podchaser kind of bridges that gap. It, it gives you, like, a one-stop shop where you can go and do this. Granted, they're only visible on Podchaser, but it's it's something that everybody has access to. It's okay. not like you have only the people who are on Pocket Casts can leave reviews on Pocket Casts. Only mm -hmm. the people who are on Pod Addict can leave them on Pod Addict. Mm -hmm. You know, this is something everybody can do. You don't have to have an app on your phone. You can just go to the website. I think it's really cool, and I really like going and looking and seeing that I've been on, like, 200 and something episodes of a podcast. Nice. <laughs> it's just great. You know, I, I, I don't know. It's fun. So podchaser.com, go check it out. Rate and review our show, any other of the wonderful podcasts that you listen to. I might have set up a profile and linked to all the different things I listen to. It's it's making me think like the way Ravelry is for knitting and Letterboxd is for films. It's got that vibe yes. for podcasts. Yes, yeah, very nice, much so. Nice. I like it's it. It's great. I dig it. That sounds my jam. I'm going to go and sign up. Thank you. Yeah, please mm. do. Uh, because it's already got your name in there because you're listed as my like oh. co-host and producer oh. and, and all that stuff. So just go like, claim the things. <laughs> <laughs> just go claim it. It'll link you up. It'll be fine. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> trading Places. Trading Places, our last movie of 2019. Not Trading Spaces. Not Trading Spaces, but oh my God, every time I talk about this movie, I say Trading Spaces in my head first and I have to correct myself. Do you have a show over there called Trading Spaces? We do. Okay. Yeah, we, we did. Do. Yeah, same. Um, the, the, I, I don't know if it's the same show, but it's like Probably. one of the home renovation kind of shows where mm -hmm. neighbors would take over a room in each other's houses and redecorate it and then do the secret reveal. And it was really big, like in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last year they rebooted it 
with the original designers and the original hosts, and it was awesome, and it okay. kind of did a resurgence for a little bit. Okay. Um, so the, the back that's... of that Queer Eye wave. <laughs> but, yes, But we're here to yeah. talk about trading places. Yes, trading places, yes. which I did not know existed until you started talking about it. Which is a good Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year film. The whole period. Mm-hmm. Merry New Year. Merry New Year. Um, <laughs> do you want to tell us a bit about this if no one's seen it? Sure. Um, and I, I'm wondering, I, I've never really heard people talk about this movie, so I'm curious how many of our listeners are already familiar with it. Hmm. Um, but it is about a snobbish investor and a wily street con artist find their positions reversed as part of a bet by two callous millionaires. Is that from IMDb? That is for my MDB, nice. but I okay. thought it was pretty spot on. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Wiley Street Con Artist. <laughs> he's absolutely a Wiley Street Con uh, I'm artist. not sure he's Wiley. <laughs> he's a con artist, but... Yeah. <sighs> Semantics. Um, can I tell you a bit about it? Please do. Tell everybody okay. a little bit about it. <laughs> Trading Places is a 1983 comedy directed by John Landis, written by Timothy Harris and Herschel Weingrod. It stars Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy, and Jamie Lee Curtis, among others. The main characters were originally written for Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. However, as Wikipedia describes it, Pryor was involved in a severe accident and could not then be in this film. So I did a bit of research, because that's a little bit curious. Whilst freeloading on cocaine, he doused himself in rum and set himself alight and ran down the street. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that so, makes something that I read before makes so much more sense. What did you read? Something about how Richard Pryor was supposed to be in it, but he set himself on fire. Yeah, that's, that's like that doesn't matter. Okay, and I didn't investigate, so I'm glad you did. No, he actually did set himself on fire. Yeah, that's the John Landis quote about it. But I, I, you know, he was he renowned really for his party lifestyle. Oh yes, were, absolutely. In, in, as a euphemism. Um, but yeah, so he couldn't be in it. So they they cast um, Eddie Murphy instead and Dan Aykroyd instead of Gene Wilder. The casting of each of the main characters was difficult. Dan Aykroyd was not a proven quantity without John Belushi. And it is rumoured to be, let me get this right, because it's Jim Belushi in as the gorilla guy at the party. It is rumoured to be John Belushi in the actual gorilla suit. Oh, but I don't, okay. I don't think it's ever been proven. So I think that's just one of those, you know, urban myths. Um, Eddie Murphy was not yet a known actor as they were preparing to make this 48 Hours was just coming out so the film that made him and Jamie Lee Curtis was only known for horror yes this was Eddie Murphy's second movie it was in 2010 the Eddie Murphy rule was implemented in Wall Street regarding insider trading finally closing a loophole that hadn't formally been outlawed basically what we see in this film yep that only took like 30 years yeah the film was very successful. It made $90 million against a $15 million budget. Critics appreciated the performances. They were surprised by the moral gratification. And overall, they enjoyed the comedy. Curtis and Denholm Elliott won BAFTAs for supporting Best Supporting Actress and Actor. And the film was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Score. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm. Cool. It wasn't Best Score at the time. It was Best Original Music Score or Adapted. Right, right. Something okay. weird, yeah. All right. So, how were you able to watch this over in the UK? It is available on Sky Cinema. And if you give me a second, I'm going to look and see if it's available on Amazon. No, it's you can rent it on Amazon, but it is available on Sky Cinema. Which I was very okay. pleased because I did not check. I just assumed. Oh, good. That was lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where is it available in the US? Um, it, You can rent it. 
okay. on Amazon, on Vudu, and all those places. Um, I was hoping because pl- last week, um, like right before I watched this, Plex unveiled their free online streaming service. Okay. So they have free movies and TV that you can just watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have some really great stuff from the 80s, like Footloose is on there, and The Evil Dead is on there, and I was like, it'd be awesome if Trading Places was on there. <laughs> it's not. No. Of course not. No. I needed to watch it, so it well, wasn't that lucky. <laughs> nope. <laughs> okay. Uh, so this, I think, is our first Eddie Murphy. It is our first Eddie Murphy. Um, so I'm interested. Is this because you know Eddie Murphy very well, you've seen all the big hits, or is it just we haven't come to his films yet? What do you know him from? <laughs> I'm trying. I, I I don't know his career well enough to be able to answer that question. Uh, well, I so... know him primarily from his run of like Disney esque movies. Okay, they mm-hmm. might actually be Disney movies, like Doctor Doolittle, The Nutty Professor. He was right. Mushu and Mulan. He was Donkey and Shrek, which is not Disney. That's DreamWorks. Um, so I kind of know him more for doing children's right movies but i also know that like as a stand-up he was much more adult okay mature um but i never really saw that stuff okay ah, um, yeah some of his early stand-up is very good yeah you know you so, can you can see the line from richard prior to him okay um but so so he did films such as um beverly hills cop trading places coming to america uh obviously 48 hours we've mentioned have you seen any of them? No, I've never heard of 48 Hours. Okay. Um, the two that you mentioned besides this one are both on the list. Oh, is it? Coming to America on the list? I think so. Cool. Okay, good. Because I seem to remember that actually being quite good and there is a sequel coming. I mean... There it, is. I saw that. Yeah. Mm, yeah. You know, it could absolutely turn out to be a terrible movie. Right. The, the, the original that we shouldn't watch, but, but you know, at least it's on the list. And yes, yeah, then suddenly he hits the Nutty Professor and goes into Mulan and Shrek and... Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. That's from the Nutty Professor. Ah, I have not seen the Nutty Professor. Really? It's so good. And he plays like all the characters. Mm. All the characters. Oh, is that the Clumps one? Yes. Ah. Yes. I didn't see any of the sequels like i just saw the original okay. one not even that that's the original the original eddie murphy version okay so. um you know i've talked elsewhere about the podcast uh cult popture and they talk about yes. franchises i think they've done the nutty professor franchise as, okay. it, as, it, as it were um and they did an episode that was w- what would the christmas spin-off for each of our franchises that we've watched be and so christmas with the clubs well, yes <laughs> they basically did Christmas with the Cranks, but Christmas with the Crumps. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I like it. Okay. So that's interesting. I wasn't sure whether this was, you knew Eddie Murphy very well. And this was just one you hadn't seen. This out, is my first adult Eddie Murphy movie. An adult Eddie Murphy movie. Worth. It was an R, I think. There was so much nudity and cussing in this movie and I did not expect it. <laughs> I, I. I think we're going to talk about it in depth. I think there is a lot of this that is showing what a early mid eighties R rated comedy was compared to what it would be now. Right. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Did you enjoy it? 
I did. Okay. It's problematic in a lot of ways, but right? I still thought it was really funny. And ultimately, the story itself is really good. Yeah. The, the the idea behind it, the way they set up the villains, the way they do everything on it is very good. I think And it, the I think the conclusion yep. is really nice. Yeah. It's a really good denouement. And and I think like critics were like, actually, yes, this ends up in a good way. But on the way there, there's just so much stuff you're like, Ooh, well they wouldn't be doing that even a few years later. Ooh, right. well. Um, there are a few things that this movie absolutely does not need. Like, you could just take them out, and it would not affect mm-hmm. the movie itself. Mm. And then it would be great. Can, like, are, are we still allowed to enjoy a movie if it yes. works despite having a guy in blackface and random nudity and sexy lamps who turn up at the end as the reward for them having done a good job? And gorilla rape. Gorilla rape, yeah. And uh, d- constant homophobia. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, yes, we can. And we talked about this a little bit with Animal House, too. Mm. Like, mm. Animal House is hugely problematic, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I think it's okay to enjoy I mean, we talked about this with Splash. You know, I mean, as much as I hate it, I understand why people still like it. I think, I think you you can enjoy the good things. Mm-hmm. While acknowledging the bad. I, I think Splash is a different case than this. I, I think, coming to this now, and this is perhaps the question, is coming to this now, like you have done, I think you can still enjoy it. I think you can go, yes, this is an artifact of its time. I think Splash, even in its time, should not have had them having sex without her speaking <laughs> and him knowing her right, name. Yeah. And yeah. I think there is stuff in Splash that's like, oh, no, they shouldn't even have done that then. Yeah, it, it's really hard because you know Eddie Murphy does not speak for black people, but he's in a scene joking around with a guy in blackface, and yeah. and there's also someone being an Irish priest, which brings a whole load of connotations. There's Eddie Murphy himself being a chap from Africa, Cameroon, was it? I thought he said Nairobi. Nairobi somewhere. Um, I cannot remember what he said. Um, being very stereotypical about that, Jamie Lee Curtis mm-hmm. doing the same thing. However, a white man in blackface brings different connotations than yes. Jamie Lee Curtis pretending to be a girl from the Alps. Or Sweden. With wearing later hose on. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 hugely problematic. Um I mean the language they use, they they mm-hmm. say faggot a lot, mm. they use the N-word a lot. Well, not a lot, just well, a couple of times. The the use of the the N-word <laughs> Is by the villain. It is. Like, it is, and it is acceptable to set up your villain as he is a bad man and he has bad opinions and things. Yes. That I think is, is even now, would be, because we yes, would call that, it Yes, that is and, true. You know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's not, you can't not say it. You can have a person who would say it, say it, and yeah. it'd be okay. Yeah. If that makes sense. Um, absolutely. Fun fact, though, the actor well, Don... Amesh, Amish, I don't know mm-hmm. how you say his mm-hmm. last name. He was so against cussing. <laughs> I bet. Um, and, and he had that big, his last line in the movie was, F- you, right? It's great. And apparently he would come on set early to apologize to everybody Aww. because of the language that he had to use. <laughs> I think that's adorable. I, I think adorable. the two, the, those two classic actors, so let's give them names because mm-hmm. we should. Don Amesh. Uh, Don Amesh and Ralph Bellamy. 
are yes. very good because yes. they are generally quite genial and okay, but they do play the villainous duplicity very well. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny. I read a story. Um, actually, I think I saw this in a couple different places where those two very famous classic mm-hmm. actors, they had no idea who Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy were. Mm-hmm. Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy had no idea who they were. <laughs> and I think I think that's just wonderful whenever you're bringing two eras of yeah. people together to mm. do something like this. And they were like, while I don't know their names, they were recognizable to me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, And I think I mostly know Don What's-His-Face from later because he had taken a break from acting mm-hmm. and came out of retirement to do this movie. Yep. And then went on to win the Academy Award for Cocoon two years later. Yeah. Which I think is wonderful. And I actually think that's where I know him from is okay. his work after this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I just think that's a great like human interest story. Yeah. All these people mush, like mushing them together and they don't know who each other are, but they're all very famous. He was also the voice of Shadow in Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Aww. Yeah. And he is the priest father in Oscar, Father Clemente. I don't remember that. Just another thing, which, yeah. you know, it bears a few similarities to this and the use of opera music and the grand yes. setting for things. Yeah. Um, okay. that's good. I, I was troubled watching it because every so often it would just pull you up of like, Oh, I'm not. Oh, do, yeah. do we need the woman jiggling around with no top on in this dance sequence? <laughs> is there anything? For, and, and like, that's why I, I think this is indicative of a time, certainly before the internet, because it was like, we can put topless women in our film and people will come to see mm-hmm. it. Whereas, you know, now you look at a fashion magazine. Um, but. <laughs> Both attitudes to nudity have changed and access to nudity has changed. Yes. I, I don't think you'd do it in this kind of... It will increase viewership by having naked women in it. Right. I think at this point in time, this was, what, 1983? Mm-hmm. This was kind of towards the end of the, the heyday of Playboy, right? Where mm. it was... Playboy was the place that you went to look at naked women. Yeah. You know, we didn't have access to internet porn. Mm. We didn't have satellite and cable channels yeah. like we do now. Um, this, it was a novelty. Like mm. it was, it was still, I don't want to say it was taboo, but it was taboo. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you had it on the screen, you showcased it and you just did it anywhere that you could. Like, like um, Adventures in Babysitting, hmm. right? We mm-hmm. talked about it then mm-hmm. because it was this kids movie and we never actually saw the nudity, but it was referenced so many times how much she looked like the Playboy centerfold. Yeah, which they did nothing with, right? Right, but yeah. it's, to, it, it, it's to draw attention to this thing that's almost God, magical. I don't, I hate saying that, but... The idea of of Playboy and women's nudity at this point, at the, during this era, was <sighs> fantastical. It was mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. boy, every man's fantasy. Yeah. People just wanted to see it because they couldn't. They did not have yes. easy access. And, you know, I'm not yes. sure necessarily things have changed in movies, but... It's different now, though, because it's not necessarily done... 
for this level of display. Mm. Like this movie, it was purely done for display. We had women take off their tops and dance in a mm-hmm. room full of people. And we had Jamie Lee Curtis change her clothes. Several times. <laughs> and it had nothing to do with the story or the plot. It it wasn't part of a sex scene. It was just we're gonna have women take off their tops. Yeah. Um, very similar to what they did with Melissa, not Melanie Griffith in Working Girl, mm. where she vacuumed. Yeah. With no top, right? We don't see that level of just blatant display mm. when we see nudity in movies now. Now it it's usually at least part of a sex scene or a romance scene or yep. something. It's not just, hey, we're going to put a naked woman right in front of you. Yeah. And, and sometimes we still get it like in yeah, Game of Thrones yeah. and stuff, but it, it's not quite this novelty. We're going to show you a naked woman. Yeah. Well, I think halfway through Game of Thrones, they went so far with it. Everyone else has gone the other way. We talked about this on our excellent adventure Patreon podcast, how Watchmen, I don't mm-hmm. think has done any female nudity. Watchmen is the successor to Game of Thrones in terms of big prestige TV. Okay. All we've had is men naked so far. And we're seven oh. episodes in. Like, that is a big change from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Game of Thrones did start doing some male nudity as well. But nowhere near yeah. the level. And it was quick. And It, it wasn't and, lingering. Yeah. The, the female nudity was also, like you say, not relevant, not necessary. Right. It was just and, naked women walking around. And in this, it was the nudity as a draw for people. And, and they clearly wanted to make this a rated R, an R-rated comedy. Rather than yes. pitching at, I want to say, PG-13. Is that the next one mm-hmm. down? Yep. Because PG-13, you couldn't have had half of that stuff. But also the viewerships at that level weren't the same. I think now they might have pitched at PG-13 and taken out some of the swearing and some of the nudity, mm-hmm. probably. Because um, there are so many kids and teens who go to the movies. Right. And and would go and see a film like this. Mm-hmm. Mm. R-rated movies now, I think, are more violent yeah than sexual Mm -hmm. like pg-13 is like the thing that makes them pg-13 is i think over the top language you get many examples like of the f word and Mm -hmm. things like that and then you get suggested nudity or actual nudity but not as much as was in this one Mm -hmm. but rated r is really like violence blood gore yeah. Mm. I think you'd be... I think it's reversed in the UK, isn't it? Uh, I think we are more comfortable with sex stuff and less comfortable mm-hmm. with violence. And in the US, you're more likely to pass violent stuff and be more prudish, more yes. restrictive on sex stuff. Yeah. That's the... The thing they often do actually rate on is non-heteronormative sexuality. That's particularly where it oh, where it yeah. really gets rated higher, and yes. um, simulations of sexual acts. You know, I, I uh, the um, BBFC who do all the ratings over here, they do a podcast, and, and they talk about how they rate at the different levels. And I can't, the, I can't remember the exact phrase, but it's something like the me- the mechanical elements of a sex act, whatever it might be, are the things that will change the rating. So the example was Black Swan, the bit where Mila Kunis goes Mila Kunis goes down on Natalie Portman and comes back up and starts wiping her face off was too far for them. 
that oh, pushed wow. it up. Just that element of interesting. Mm. We're digressing. People are weird. <laughs> into a topic we don't often go into. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Um, but we're mentioning Jamie Lee Curtis. I I yes. find her uh, compared to the other women in the film very interesting because you're right. She does have moments of abstract nudity <laughs> nudity where yes. yes she's getting changed she doesn't need to and going around her little tanga brief things um <laughs> and then taking her clothes off to warm him up right yeah that one didn't make any sense but i don't think she got this role necessarily because she will take her top off i think they cast jamie lee curtis i think she comes across as someone much more capable in that character than mm-hmm. I think some of the other parts we're seeing are, hey, will you take your top off and dance around? Great, you're in the film. And they're not looking for okay. anything more from them. I think, you know, obviously she's a main character and so on, but mm-hmm. she's another one. And, you know, I think we've talked about her being similar to like a Carrie Fisher, a Sigourney Weaver. Yes. Their quality comes across in the parts they play. Mm-hmm. And I, I think she does very well. She does. I think, though, I've I've never seen her not be a fantastic actress Mm -hmm. and so it's hard for me to rate her yeah you know it's hard for me to say oh that was such a wonderful performance because she was just being jamie lee curtis yeah she was she gave me what i expected from jamie lee curtis Uh, absolutely stamp of quality yes yeah no that's good i think that's that's the the exact right thing because yes when you go and see her in a film you're like okay this is gonna be good yes and and i think that comes across for a part that could just be a bit of a nothing part because mm-hmm. she doesn't really get to do much. Right. I think. But what she does get to do, she's really good. Uh, the the romance okay. aspect mm-hmm. between her and Dan Aykroyd, I think, was forced. Oh, okay. And not earned. Mm. I mean, I kind of enjoy that he ended up with her instead of Muffy or whatever her name was. <laughs> Penelope. That was her name, Penelope. But there... We didn't see enough of them together. You know, it, mm-hmm. it kind of came across as if he ended up with her because she was a sexy, sexy prostitute who was willing to take her clothes off. <laughs> and that's all. So that's why he's into her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They didn't give us a reason to think otherwise. Yeah, I I think you're right on that way, but I can see why she's into him because he actually, you know, at the beginning he disdains her, but he does appreciate her help and he is a good person. You know, yes. he, part of he has a journey on this film to learn that that class is not a thing and so on, um, and I think, I think I can see her being into him because of a he actually kind of respects her and appreciates her help, not just because of her looks. Okay. Fair enough. There's a movie that I watched recently, possibly we watched recently, that had a very similar kind of feel to it, where there was a woman who really had nothing to do with the character, but she came along to help him. And they ended up together in the end, and it's we got to see more of it, though. We got to see their relationship grow through her helping him i've seen this kind of thing done better and right. this movie could have done it better for okay. me to buy the the romance that they fed us at the end okay 
yeah, you're right. There is an aspect of it. It's the guy and the girl who were together. And especially because at the end you see the butler and Billy Ray Valentine um, on the beach with... I don't even know the phrase. I'm gonna I'm gonna use the phrase race appropriate women. Except it's just another one of those things of like, why does he have to be with a black woman? Why does he have to need to need to be a, with a white woman just because he's black and he's white? Mm-hmm. It's just this this matching thing they're doing and possibly age and inappro- inappropriate women. <laughs> okay. I mean the the ending of it. Okay, let's let's flip to the ending a bit. I yeah, I think I agree with you on the romance. I can see why she's into him. He's into her because the way she looks, maybe. But I think he does treat her okay. However, the ending. This film tries to do a thing about class. Like okay. the, the the opening shows you all the shots of Philadelphia. Um, which I loved yes. that you were saying New York. Because I was fascinated <laughs> it took watching me a little this. While. Like, wow, they really want you to know that this is Philadelphia, not New York. Wow, the Liberty Bell. Wow, they got this. They got this Philadelphia thing. Oh, there's a, there's a statue of Sylvester Sloan as Rocky. It's That's what fun. made me realize it was the statue of Rocky, and I was like, oh, this is Philly. <laughs> I just assume I have this bias. Yeah. I assume if they're showing us this like gritty urban setting, it has mm-hmm. to be New York City. That, that is a very and fair assumption. And I was assumption. like, wait, that's Rocky. <laughs> yeah. No, so it opens up with all the shots of Philadelphia, and then it, it shows you some of the more impoverished areas of the city, mm-hmm. juxtaposed with Denholm Elliott making a lavish posh breakfast for Dan Aykroyd, who is in bed, and you know his servant serving him something. Mm-hmm. So it is setting up a. Look at how things are for people in this city. And yet there's this guy. Yeah. And we've got servants throughout. We've got Billy Ray Valentine not being sure how he can treat people and not being totally comfortable with it, perhaps. Mm-hmm. If they were doing something about class, I think they would have ended with Dan Aykroyd giving a drink to Den Elliott. I cannot remember the butler's name. Coleman? Coleman. Coleman. Um... But they don't even, I think, realise they could have done that. They could have done a thing of, and now he serves him something. All, all they're saying in this is, if you have money, you are a higher status class. And that is where the class system in America comes from. And it's just a bit, yes, it is, but it's also not. I I see what you're saying, but I actually liked that shot because I liked Coleman mm. having a butler. Mm-hmm. I liked okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. that transition. I think that that made me happy to see him finally get to experience what he had been giving yeah his whole life yeah right um and we would have lost that had it been dan Aykroyd giving him the drink yes and and there are ways of doing it but it Mm -hmm. is just he's now got money so he's a higher class person yeah and it's true it ain't true given your no no not at all you know given your president (laughs) um (laughs) yeah right (laughs) Um, and I find that a shame because at the same time, like they wanted to cast Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. So they clearly, from the very beginning, this was, we're going to have a white man and a black man and we're going to swap them. So they, yeah, it was originally supposed to be called black and white. Right. Okay. But I don't think they do anything with race. They, They have the brothers being racist which adds to their villainy, but I don't think they ever actually go to the fact Eddie Murphy in Dan Aykroyd's situation would have been treated very differently. He is just treated like Dan Aykroyd. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. Um, and I think they ignore a lot by magically making him understand commodities trading. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. On, like, I had to a... read like four different articles to figure out what the heck happened at the end of this movie. <laughs> and I'm somebody who's taken a day trading course. Oh, right. And I still kind of needed some understanding and clarity there. And like Billy Ray Valentine, this con man comes in off the street, you put him mm. in a suit and suddenly he understands how business people think and how yeah. people are going to buy and sell commodities. But he understands it from a street level. Like, oh, it's true. this guy worrying about is his Christmas going to come in and all of this thing. It's like, yes. okay, but that's one case. You're, we're talking about yeah. all the sellers of this thing. <laughs> yeah. And I think by doing that, though, they made him, like you said, they just made him Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Like they all treated him. Yeah. Like Dan Aykroyd, they respected his opinion the way they did with Dan Aykroyd. And mm-hmm. um, so you're right. We didn't get to see, other than the racism, mm-hmm. which was blatant. Mm-hmm. And, and That's really the only, I mean, it was yeah. intended. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't, the movie is not being racist. The movie is actually pointing out how horrible these people Absolutely. are. Make your villains racist and say, isn't it a bond? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what they did. But apart from that... We didn't get, and I don't know if that's the movie just saying the world shouldn't be racist and he should have been treated like Dan Aykroyd except by the villains, or if the mm-hmm. movie just ignored it. Yeah. Because it's easier to ignore it. I'm not sure. <sighs> A bit of both, probably, isn't it? Probably. Mm. I mean, I feel like a movie that's going to go out of your way, out of its way to have your villains be so blatantly racist mm-hmm. has to be trying to say something. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, they have to be. Like, it has to be intentional. Yeah. Doesn't it? Is it a thing of its time? It, it, it is easy writing? And and I think this is this is perhaps my point. It feels like it should be. I don't think it is. It feels like mm. it gets a pass just because it's doing black man and white man swap positions. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Because they don't even swap positions. Dan Aykroyd gets reduced in status, Mm -hmm. but he goes on his own little adventure thing going on. He doesn't go and live wherever Eddie Murphy lives. He immediately gets help and is given a warm place to stay and doesn't actually end up hungry and homeless and begging for money. Exactly. The white man fails upwards. Oh, God. (laughs) You know, if we really, really wanted to critique it. And I, yeah. I don't think it's necessarily doing that. This is the point of, and this is perhaps coming back around to the Jamie Lee Curtis thing. You know, she's a prostitute with a heart of gold. <laughs> a tart with a heart. Exactly. But, you know, she she does feel sorry for him. She does help him out um, mm-hmm. because he is not such a bad guy. Yeah. He is just, and, and this is where they could have even lent in even more into the, he's a product of his environment, and his environment is racist, awful people. And once he's out of that environment, he's a better person. They don't make that yeah. point. That point is not part of this film. I think it just happens to be. It could have been, though, because they spent so much time setting up this whole nature versus nurture thing. Yeah. Like, the whole premise of the bet mm-hmm. is it's environment that matters. Yeah. And so they could have done a little bit more with that. Yeah. And and if they were doing it, they would have turned Eddie Murphy more awful. 
Mm, I, th- yeah. I think it, he just about goes there with the bit when he gets Winthorpe thrown out. But mm-hmm. not really. He is still himself. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Can I ask you a question about this as a comedy? Okay. I find it hard watching some of these comedies from the 80s and things, partially because some of the stuff we're talking about, but also I've seen them a number of times. Like, I'm fairly mm-hmm. sure I saw this a few times in my teens. I've seen, definitely seen it since. It's just one of those Christmas films that's always on. So I kind of don't laugh at it anymore. I can see where things are funny, but I'm not sure if I'm just hoping they're funny and they're actually they never were. Was it funny? Okay. Were there things that you laughed at? Not even like favorite moments, but did you find it a funny comedy? I think so. I laughed. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Okay. Like I can't. I'm I'm looking through my notes to see like most of my notes are talking about like the story or the problematic bits. Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm not. <sighs> I don't know the answer to that. I know I enjoyed it. Like, I was reading an article that talked about um, how this movie is somebody's guilty pleasure. And, and it they talk about all the problematic things like we've been talking about, but then talk about how this still is one of the funniest movies they've ever seen, which is why they love it. Right. And I think that's wonderful. But I'm trying to think, what's actually funny? <laughs> I mean, because the gorilla stuff's not actually funny. It's supposed to be, but it's not. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis with I, the chewing gum is funny. Uh, yes, making people making ho- Coleman hold, yeah, making yeah. Coleman hold the chewing gum. Yes, that is funny. Um, hmm. and there there is one bit that I've, I'm going to have in my favorites in a minute that I've not put on the list, but yeah, I okay. don't, I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with yes. Okay. But I can't give you specific examples of what I thought was funny. Right. I, I, I will be interested when, when if, as and when we return to other films of this type. And it might even be things like the Coming to America, uh, Brewster's Millions, some of the, uh, you know, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor films as well. Whether they are genuinely funny or if it's just situationally. Because you compare this to like, uh, and I was thinking when I was watching this, comparing this to Blazing Saddles that did some of the same stuff. Let's put a black guy in a position of power, a higher status position, mm-hmm. and see how he's treated. And he is mm-hmm. treated abhorrently. And the film makes a comment on it. And it shows that he's actually smarter than all these people who are racist. So this film did not do that thing. And I think Blazing Saddles was still able to do humor even within that. All right, I've got a couple. Go on. I'm thinking about it while you're talking. <laughs> um, and they're, the, the two main ones are they're Eddie Murphy moments, mm-hmm. I think, of course. Um, Eddie Murphy, I can see my legs grew back. <laughs> that whole thing. And the cops are just watching him. Yeah. And, and that was hilarious. The fact they lift him up and he stays with his legs curled up for as long as he can. And you can see him be like, well, the jig's up. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, that was great. And then he just keeps walking away. Yeah. Um. And then when he's in jail with the kung fu, the okay, karate, yeah, yeah, that's funny. Right, that's okay. genuinely funny. With um, Giancarlo Esposito, yes, mm. mm-hmm. look, come here. Uh, yeah, no, and and that's him doing his shtick. But I do like that you got these big dudes who then you know they do return later, and we then have a thing with them as well. It's quite a nice 
Mm-hmm. Like, oh, they've kind of set some of this up. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Okay. Do do you have other favorite things? There's an interesting fourth wall break in this movie. I don't know if you noticed it. That's, You're a fourth wall guy. You probably did. Oh, is that one of your favorites? my favorite thing. That is the thing that actually, when I think back at this, the, the point of, and I think there's two of them. Well, okay. So I, I read something where somebody referenced one that I didn't pick up right. on as a fourth okay. wall break. But the one specifically where... He, the Mortimer is talking to mm-hmm. Billy Ray about the commodities and the bacon. And yep. he says, like, you might find in a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. And Eddie Murphy's just like, really? And he stares at the camera. <laughs> I mean, the setup for that is very good. That he works it, through each of them. And he says, and pork bellies that we use to make bacon that you might find. Like, it's not even just that you make bacon. Is, like is he has to explain pork. to him what bacon is. The, 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 then in a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. And the fact that Eddie Murphy nods at him, like, okay, okay, and then looks at us like, <laughs> this guy thinks I'm the worst. <laughs> no, it was nice. I mean, that was, it was a nice moment, but it it felt a little out of place because it's the only time they did that. I think there's one earlier when they're first giving him stuff in the car. And I can't remember what the line is. Oh, is is it the moment where he says, "Is there a lawyer in the house?" And all the lawyers in the room are like, <laughs> "Maybe." Mm, no, there there, there definitely was another one. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I do love a good fourth wall break, and that is a very good one. Yeah, because he doesn't ham it up again. It's a little bit like the one in Oscar. It's just a turn to camera okay. and be like, "See what I'm dealing with here." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll take it. So, uh, do you have favorite moments from this? Is this stuff we've not covered? Yeah, I think, uh, I, and I don't know why this is one of my favorite moments. This was actually genuinely funny to me too. After it kind of starts going a little bit dark, and Dan Aykroyd has the gun, mm. and he's threatened to shoot everybody at the Christmas party. When he decides to leave, he just holds the gun straight up in the air, runs out of the room, screaming at the top of his lungs, like, I'm crazy. Get out of my way. <laughs> you know, that it, that was just funny to me. I really liked it. Um, it's weird, but it's great. Yeah. And then... He, he does the, the, the bum Santa very well. Just, yes. You know, grimacing. Although, I don't understand the the whole stealing food thing because he had not hit that rock bottom because he was staying with Jamie Lee Curtis, who was feeding him. Right. Like, he didn't need to steal that whole salmon, shove it in his Santa suit, and then start eating it on the subway. Through his beard. <laughs> Through his beard, yeah. right. Like, I think it was just supposed to be funny, like gross funny. Yeah, and it is. Because but... it is like, wait, that's a whole salmon. <laughs> There's a whole salmon, yeah. (laughs) And it looks really disgusting. Yes, yes, it does. Yeah. And, you know, then I I did. I really liked the way it ended. Like, I wanted uh, Randolph and Mortimer Mortimer to get their comeuppance. I wanted them to lose everything. Mm. And uh, because, you know, they had it was a throwaway line, but this is not the first time they've done this. Mm -hmm. They were like, well, we've done it before. (laughs) Like, what? These people are true evil. True evil. So I liked the ending. They lost all their money, and our folks got a lot of money. They got a lot of money. Without happily ever after. Yeah. It was nice. It, is, it, it does give you an ending that is very satisfying, 
It is. Even though it's on a trading floor. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And illegal now. It wasn't illegal right. then, yeah, but illegal yeah, now. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. Nice. What about you? Um, the fourth wall break. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome moment. There, there is a, a point. And in some ways, this is the sort of joke you shouldn't do about, you know, there's elements of homophobia. There's the, the ridiculousness of the whole prison rape jokes. Mm-hmm. But the way Dan Aykroyd delivers the line, those men wanted to have sex with me. <laughs> it's so... Because normally it would be some just like, uh, they almost raped me. It was terrible. I was the, you know, victim here. Something terrible thing. But he's like, can you believe that? <laughs> it's just so... I'm honestly shocked this sort of behavior goes on. He does right, He does right, the uppity yeah. bit very, very well. He does. Yeah. He absolutely does. And, and I think it's it's one of those things that shows you actually Dan Upward's quite good at the character stuff. Because usually he does... Mm-hmm. Either sort of guy in charge, general type. I'm thinking Evolution mm-hmm. and uh, Christmas with the Cranks, or he does kind of Everyman, your kind of Ghostbusters sort of thing. Mm. But in this, he's playing a very different character, and it really, really works for me. Yeah, yeah, no, he absolutely. They both were fantastic. Yeah, like everybody in this movie, like from an acting perspective, mm-hmm. nailed their characters. Uh, the the fiance and the. Barbershop quartet and it's no. I think they nailed their characters. Oh, really? Honestly, I think they. I do. I think they were meant to be over the top. I okay. think they mm. were meant to be portrayed that way, like to be utterly ridiculous. That's fair. Kind of showing how that lifestyle is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like how out of touch with reality. Yeah. You may be if you are in this circle, and and kind of showing how that's where Dan Aykroyd started. And by the end, he's kind of stepped away from some of that. Hmm. I liked it. It is nicely done. Yes. All right. Is there anything else that we need to discuss about trading places? Okay. I I was going to ask you, what actually happens at the end? And it sounds like you can tell me. What actually happens at the end? Okay. (laughs) With the trading. (laughs) Yeah. Frozen concentrated orange juice Mm -hmm. is a commodity. It's actually a real commodity. Mm -hmm. I did not know that either. Okay. So basically what happens is um the 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 dukes were trying to get insider information from the government. They wanted the report from the Agri- Department of Agriculture to see what the orange crop was going to be like. Because if the orange crop was going to be good, then prices would likely drop because demand would stay relatively the same. Okay. If the crop was going to be bad, then the price would skyrocket because mm-hmm. supply and demand, mm-hmm. there's not enough for everybody. So Dan Aykroyd and um, Eddie Murphy got the report and gave the wrong information to the Dukes, making the Dukes think the crop was going to be bad. Yeah. So they wanted okay. to buy all of the orange juice before the report came out, so they would be buying it super low. Okay, and it would get more expensive. Okay. And it would get more expensive, and then they could sell really high. Mm-hmm. So instead, what happened was, um, well, that I mean, they did do that. They their guy went out and was like buying, buying, buying super low, um, and then uh, Dan Aykroyd he waited, so he had this line like he was telling Eddie Murphy, "Wait, wait, not yet." Mm-hmm. And it hits a particular point, and he shouts out, um, 
sell in April X number of contracts at a dollar forty two or whatever. And so basically what he's doing at that point is he's saying that in April he is going to have this many shares contracts of orange juice to sell at this price. Mm-hmm. And so everybody just starts buying from them. Okay. And so then the report comes out and the crop is good and everybody realizes we just bought all this stuff. We need to dump it immediately. And the price drops and drops and drops. And so then um, Eddie Murphy and What's-His-Face mm-hmm. decide to buy it all back. Mm-hmm. And so they end up buying low and selling high, but they did it in reverse. Okay. So they sold high and then they bought low. Okay. Because they're buying futures. Okay. <laughs> you still look really confused. Where do they get the contracts for the orange juice from? Are they selling on behalf of other people? Is that the point? Um, they bought. I think they bought them because they had the money. Like they went in. Remember, they they came mm. in with all of the money. Mm-hmm. So I think they bought them, and then they okay. said, "We have all of this stuff, and so now we're going to sell it in April at this price, okay. which is futures." Um, and so then everybody bought from them now, saying, "Okay, we're going to buy it from you." Because then we'll be able to sell it at an even higher price. Okay. Um, and then and they would have it bought tanked. it at a lower price anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. So they really they did. It's kind of like it's called short selling, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you buy things like right now. If you're day trading, like today, you can buy stock at like ten dollars if you think it's going to tank. So really, what you do is you are borrowing against it. Okay. And so you kind of um, you sell something that you don't have at high, and you're kind of getting a loan from your broker to do it. Okay. So so and then it tanks, mm-hmm. and you make even more money, and so you pay your broker back, and then you get the difference. Yeah, wh- so that's called short selling, and that's what they're doing. Why do they make the price tank in that way? Surely at that point they've been able to sell it as the price was going up, so they've made money. They then because they made even more money. Well, because they're primary goal wasn't to make money their primary goal was to bankrupt the dude oh of course yeah 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 okay mm. so they they're so working that's why they had with, the line yeah. of they made the bet of trying to get rich while also taking all of their money got it yes yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's what they did okay. with this scheme thank you so <laughs> i'm not super articulate at these like financial things so there are probably people listening who were like, mm, she got that wrong the way I said it. But it all makes sense in my it head because I would, read about it. It would make this a good learning opportunity for someone to tell us what we don't know. Yes. Um, so basically, the the short end of it is they essentially did a short sell. Where right. They bought high. No, they sold high and bought low. Okay. And ended up with so. even more of the stuff that they could then sell at whatever price and... Right, because okay. they made the Dukes buy high, high and, and sell low. low. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Okay, thank so. you. All right. <laughs> well, if you would like to join the conversation and tell me how I could have better explained all of that financial stuff to Matthew, <laughs> you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. You can send an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com, or you can leave us a wonderful voice message at speakpipe.com slash eloquentgushing. 
As we said up top, we are completely funded through Patreon by our amazing listeners. Anything that you can give, even $1 a month, you get access to bonus shows, early shows, physical merch, discounts off our merch store, and you help us. You help us support the network, upgrade our equipment, and release new shows. If you want to find out more, you can go to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we'll be back next week with another episode where we're going to talk about some other movie. (laughs) So until then, I am Mandy Kay. And maybe I'll go to the movies by myself. Five whole dollars. Half of that is for me. (laughs) Great. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing. All right, trading okay. places. I am going to open this with Happy New Year, even though this is coming out on New Year's Eve. Oh, I thought that was why you put the Merry New Year in. Oh, well, no, I just liked it. Okay. That's part of why I did that. But okay, I can wait. <laughs> no, no, you then. do. You do. You. No, no, no. No, no, no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. <sighs> How are we doing, like, warm-ups over there for recording? Is that what's going on? Yep. (laughs) All right. Hello, and welcome to episode... (laughs) Stop it! (laughs) What? Oh, my God. Okay, I just... I'm going to have to turn the camera off. Okay. Or at least hide (laughs) the screen so I cannot see you. I will turn around. Yes, yes. Stop making me laugh. Oh okay. my god. Yeah, I don't think that's gonna work either. <laughs> Alright, take five, however many this is. <sighs> Hello and welcome to episode one hundred and forty nine of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the pork bellies. This week we're gonna be talking <laughs> I had my hand in front of your face and I can still see you. Because all I can see is like your little finger just in front of the camera. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. (coughs) You are going to have so much fun editing this and God, you're probably going to leave it all in. (laughs) And talk about the good, the bad and the pork bellies. This week, we're going to be talking about trading places on your Merry New Year podcast.